Well, it's horrible, cold, nasty and wet out there, but it's warm and welcoming in here. Some words from the second letter to the church at Corinth. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Holy God, we approach you marvelling at the mystery of who you are. Words fail us and we resort to comparisons. Imagining you as being like the purest, brightest, whitest light ever. Dazzling us if we try to look at it so that we need to shade our eyes. Lighting up everything you touch so that nothing is hidden in the shadows. We cannot look directly at you, but we glimpse your brightness mirrored in creation, in the milky light of the moon and the sparkly silver starlight, in the rainbow hues of trees, plants and flowers, in the spots, stripes, and mottled blotches of animal fur in the face of every human we meet. We cannot hide from you. Even the darkest of darkness is as light to you. Your light shows up the thoughts and feelings we've tried to hide even from ourselves. Your brightness reveals the grubby reality of our botched endeavours. Your purity makes plain the imperfection of our absolute best. And yet you do not wither us with a look. You do not look beyond us for some better person. Rather, you enlighten us with new hope. Reignite the spark of love and gentleness. Trim the flickering wick of our faith. And replenish us. So that we too may bring light into the corner of the world where we are placed. Amen. We have two scripture lessons this morning. The first of them is found in the book of Exodus, and we're going to read a short passage from chapter 34, that's verses 29 to 35 of Exodus 34. The heading in my paragraph in my Bible says, The Radiant Face of Moses. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, He was not aware that his face was radiant, because he'd spoken with the Lord. 
when Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. And the New Testament lesson this morning is in Luke chapter 9, reading from verse 28. Luke chapter 9 at verse 28. And the heading is the Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw the glory and the two men sitting with they, sorry, they saw his glory and the two men sitting with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Let us put up three shelters, one for Moses and one for Elijah. <coughs> he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept these things to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. Amen. These are our lessons this morning. Now Paul is going to lead us in our prayers of intercession. In today's intercessions, uh, the refrains you will hear are uh, lyrics taken from a song by Sufjan Stevens called The Transfiguration. Let us go up the mountain to pray. Lost in the cloud, a voice. Have no fear. We draw near. Lost in the cloud, a sign. Son of man, turn your ear. Lord, we are asleep. 
our senses are dull. We too often drift in semi-slumber from day to day, failing to notice the reality of your world all around us. The reality of you in front of our faces, in the faces of those we encounter. Shine brightly into the darkness of our world and our lives, illuminating for us the situations and people for whom we dare to offer prayers this day. Lost in the cloud, a voice, Lamb of God, we draw near. Lost in the cloud, a sign, Son of Man, Son of God. Shake us awake, Lord. You have brought us here to pray, to show us your glory, to remind us of the price you pay to bring about a better world. And so we pray for children, that they may be protected and nurtured, unhindered and encouraged. May they have the chance to learn the space to dance, the room to grow. For young people, that they may be valued and heard, supported and challenged, and be given real opportunities to help in the reshaping of the church and the world. For those who have no work, and those who have too much, that all may have work that is meaningful and shared, in a society where people are valued for themselves. For those young and old, near and far, whose health is a daily concern, where fear of disease extinguishes love of life, that they may find peace. For each other in this place, in this community, that we may see the light of Christ in one another, and be alert to each other's needs. For other situations, places, people who are on our hearts at this time. We pray for all these things, and yet we are afraid, timid, lost in the cloud. A voice, have no fear, we draw near. Lost in the cloud, a sign, son of man, turn your ear. We are afraid because we know you did not bring us here as mere onlookers, but as witnesses, calling us to continually bear witness to your grace and truth in our lives involving us in your work in the world. Stay with us. Walk with us. Help us to hear and heed your voice so that through us your world may be transformed. Amen. When Katrina asked me to take or to preach a sermon this morning, she told me it would be on the Transfiguration. And I thought, gosh, I've been preaching since 1974. 
I don't think I've got much here in my study about the Transfiguration. However, um, you know, encouraged by one's wife, who's always keen to have me in my place, I came across some thoughts which I want to share with you. One of the first things is this. This is a strange day to talk about transfiguration. In the church calendar, the day that transfiguration is celebrated is on the 6th of August. Now, transfiguration is not a word that most of us use. You don't hear it in the supermarket queue at uh, Morrison's. You don't hear it in the bus queue. Folk there are unlikely to be talking about transfiguration. And yet, nevertheless, the transfiguration of Jesus was one of the five major events in his life. You can probably name three of them. We know his birth at Christmas time, his death on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter Day. But what are the other two? One of it, one of them, is his baptism in the River Jordan, when he was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his work. And the other is the Transfiguration, which we commemorate on the sixth of August. What happened? What does transfiguration mean? What has it got to do with us? Well, my first heading here is encouragement. Let me try to tell you in a few words the situation which Jesus found himself in prior to his transfiguration. He was under pressure, terrible pressure. His enemies were slowly closing in around him And he knew it. I can't say if he'd ever seen a crucifixion, but they weren't all that rare. The Romans used crucifixion as a deterrent against rebellion, which being the case, victims were not draped over or hushed up. Unless unless Jesus was to alter his message and capitulate, Crucifixion is what loomed up at the end of the road for him. But he couldn't talk about it. His disciples wouldn't understand. They thought of political triumph, not of sacrificial death. And so although he had these twelve fellows round him, Jesus was horribly alone. And then one day he took the three of his closest disciples and climbed a nearby mountain. And there in the loneliness before their eyes, he was transfigured. They were astonished and not a little frightened. They hardly recognized him. He didn't look different, but his faith was different. Instead of the Galilean man in the drab dress of the ordinary local fellow, he shone like some celestial figure. Indeed, heaven clearly owned him. For he heard a voice saying, This is my beloved son. And then the vision, if it was a vision, 
suddenly vanished. And the same Jesus was with his disciples as before. And the four of them descended from the mountain. And that was the transfiguration. And the disciples did not talk about it. They were too overawed. Now there are those who will attempt to explain this in physical terms. I say modestly I'm not qualified for that. I can't claim to be a mystic or anything approaching a mystic. My Christian commitment, I suspect, is like many people here today. It's a very simple thing based on faith and reason and reason and faith. And what I see, first of all, in this incident of God's infinite mercy in encouraging his faithful servant, Jesus, in the awesome ministry that faced him in the very near future, absolutely alone. Perhaps some of us think Jesus didn't need encouragement. I remind you, he was human as you and I are human. And he was set in a world that sometimes could turn nasty. And who is there wholly ignorant of how this feels? Here's a man who's just lost his job. Here's a workman whose employer has turned against him. Here's a woman who's lost her baby. And a boy who's failed his exams. And a businessman who's invested his money in a fraudulent scheme. And I could go on and on, and so could you. And suppose that you are alone with no one with whom you can share your fear. I tell you, I tell you, fortunate is the man or woman who at such a time believes in a God who provides for us. Unexpected encouragement when we are down in the drains of apprehension. God sustains his servants who trust him. We're not alone. Let the transfiguration give us, first of all, a message of reassurance. God knows and God cares whatever are the rough patches in life and the the busy and overflowing rivers we're sometimes called to cross. So as God said to Moses, be strong and of a good courage. The second thing I want to bring into the sermon this morning is a heading entitled Experiences of Awe. Now, if you were like me yesterday and you watched the rugby and you saw Scotland winning a convincing game, it certainly was an experience of awe, and I pray for more of them. But something there is, we all need from time to time when we're serious, experiences of awe, wonder, grandeur in the course of our lives if we believe in the gospel we must believe at the end of this earthly pilgrimage is glory very well then we need from time to time to try and anticipate that glory we cannot continue with a perpetual ritual a routine of ordinariness Some years ago, an Anglican minister was sitting on the deck of a steamer on Lake Thum, I think that's how you pronounce it, in Switzerland, journeying from Interlaken to Spitz. All the passengers, including the cleric, sitting side by side, were very glum. 
It was supposed to be a beautiful evening, and the passengers were there expecting to revel in the panoramic beauty of the all around them. But instead, there was nothing murky to see except the cloud cover, wrapping everything in a depressing greyness. And all of a sudden, a Frenchman jumped up. And pointing with an outstretched arm and hand, he cried out at the top of his voice, Regardi! Regardi! And the passengers looked, and dozens of them looked where he was pointing. And there, in a sudden break in the clouds, was the complete Jungfrau, its snow cap gleaming with a dazzling whiteness, tinged pink in the evening sunlight against the Asia sky. It was a transfiguration, and it took folks' breath away. The steamer chugged on, and the murky mist descended again, but they caught that glimpse of glory, and they went through the rest of their journey with real contentment. Am I suggesting too much if I make the point that this is what our worship in church should do for us? Provide us with occasional glimpses of glory. I'm not pleading for excessive ritual or over-elaborate music, but I'm pointing a critical finger at the sheer ordinariness of so much of our contemporary parochial worship. Our modern liturgies cannot escape the blame here for some of our, or some of our modern translations of the Bible. We need just a little grander. Occasionally, please. Archbishop Cranmer, with his book of Common Prayer, was surely right in this. And in this respect, at least, the authorised version of the Bible has never been surpassed. But whatever version is read, let it be read with sensitivity to the transcendent, which which is some extent its uncovering. We need some grandeur, please. And I have a strong feeling that people are looking for this in worship if they worship at all, which is partly why cathedral services at the present time are so very well attended. In some ways, this is the age of the cathedral, and all their services are meeting real needs. This um, foretaste of the Festival of the Transfiguration then should remind us that all worship, however humble, is there to part the clouds of little, a little, so that we may catch a glimpse of eternal glory, providing life's deeper, higher dimension, contradicting its plainness and its drabness. We're destined for eternity. God has not forgotten us. And one last point. It's a different view of the historical Jesus. Jesus, as we know, was transfigured on the mountaintop in Galilee. And his disciples saw him differently. He was, in their eyes, no longer just the superb teacher or the astonishing healer of people's sometimes tormented minds. No longer the strong, strong, stronger... (laughs) courageous leader he was the incarnate son of God utterly beyond compare and an awesome figure 
I have to say to you, I don't think we see Jesus aright until we've glimpsed it. I put it no stronger. Until we've glimpsed this other dimension. He it is to whom at the end of each day we can bow the head and worship. My Lord and my God. Jesus needs to be transfigured for us. Changed from being an impressive historical figure into a contemporary divine presence we trust. It's a function of worship to make this transference in word and sacrament, in liturgy and music, yes, and even in architecture. God grant us the experience of worship with glory in our day and in our generation. Amen. May God bless his word. May the Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace today and every day. Oh.